it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course In The Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hello. Hi. Welcome. What's going on? We're both in... This is the first time, Craig, in the history of the show... Uh... If you say hello, Craig. Oh, hello, Craig. <laughs> if you look at Craig and I, we are wearing the same sort of attire for the first time in the history of our show, and I'm damn proud of it. And, of course, the word damn is right there, too, so it fits. Uh, Craig Leons, follow him at Craig Leons, follow me, Dan, at DanLaw83. Uh, let's get right down to it, So, because people don't know <laughs> that the first, uh, before we got on the air, we spoke about Philly sports for about 25 minutes. Hey, you two are matching. We are. We yeah, we are. Plan it that way. Mm-mm. Totally organic. Uh, actually, you know what? I have two of these. I might give you this one. Okay. Thank I, you. I have. No, I have. I have the, the Hextall one. This is a no name, but it's still a. It still works. It's vintage. It was sold at the time. There you go. <laughs> uh, so whenever I can breathe the same air as you without killing people around us, I might. Uh, I'll bring it to you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I was thinking about what we should talk about this week and we, we will be talking about the Uganda giant uh, Kamala in a second um, but I, I'll start the conversation like this Craig I haven't been okay. able to watch wrestling the last two weeks again why is that uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm tired of being a fan <laughs> well see there's not much to be a fan of of well, this, this current crop of professional wrestling. You know, I'm not even going to argue with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, maybe it's the fatigue of being at home. Uh, maybe it's the fatigue of all the stuff that happened with indie wrestling. And uh, everything in between. Uh, but I finally hit that moment last week. When AEW, I saw uh, a friend, a, a person I consider, not a 
we're not best friends, but she's a really good person and a really good friend the last three years because of Primetime Red. Uh, Polygon Princess um, getting to a discussion. It was a discussion on her end, not so much the other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details, neither here nor there. I watched a conversation unfold about AEW Heels. And for those who don't know, AEW Heels isn't an app. I don't know what the hell it is. It's a club that behind the guise of good intentions, it basically created a safe space for female wrestling fans. All three uh, of them. Giveaways, yeah. uh, different kind of things, different perks, all kinds of stuff. It's hard to watch playoff hockey do this show. Uh, all, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an AEW uh, female wrestling fan. The only problem was, is in the middle of a pandemic, they were like, oh, you got to play. Do you want to be part of this club and be included and be in the safe space? You got to pay 50 bucks. Yeah, 50 bucks a year. 50 yeah, bucks but, a year. All right, but still, 50 bucks a year. Fair enough. Yeah, but still something per month that, you know, on top of all other bills you may have to pay. And, you know, again, because of the huge jobless rate we are right now and uh, unemployment being what, what it is, asking fans, Okay, and you're talking female AEW fans, and I made a joke. All three of them are that are, are that are exist, but you're asking them to pay. So I think it's a huge, a huge ask. Huge, uh, that is the exact words I was going to use. That is a huge ask. You're giving away so much for free on that nationwide every Wednesday and on your YouTube channel. Why is this all of a sudden? for the female AEW fans, not that there's anything wrong with that demographic or nothing wrong with catering to that demographic, but why does that have to generate a revenue stream? Well, it's very funny you mention that, Craig, because this is exactly where I was going to go with it. Um, mm-hmm. My question is, and this is from, obviously, no surprise, surprise, two, two dudes talking about it. I asked around. Everybody was unavailable this week, so I figured, well, we're going to talk about it anyway. I I try to keep it mixed when it's not, you know, just about about our normal stuff, but what the hell, here we are. Um, what have you done for me lately? Kind of thing. I sat back. I didn't comment about it because, quite frankly, it wasn't about me. It, it, the heels is not for me. Not Obviously not geared towards me. So I, But I sat back and watched. The people that I liked and trusted uh, comment about it on how it made them feel. And it aligned with how I felt about it. Like, I, I'm going to get a lot of heat for this. I don't care. Direct all your hate mail to at DanLaw83 because I'm going to mute every single one of them. Uh, I don't care. Which gets back into the other part of the discussion later. Um, what has AEW done that's different from the WWF? E. Nothing. In fact, as far as their women's division, not as good. Just not. That's not a lock on the talent at all. Uh, the booking. AEW started their company as a, correct me if I'm wrong again, Craig, I've said that three times off air. I'm going to say it one, one time on air. Uh, AEW had this thing about how we're going to be different. We're going to do this differently. We're not going to be like everything else on TV. You're like everything else on TV. Which a lot of people called, uh, including that one guy we won't mention because we are talking about females right now. <laughs> well, let me phrase that. We're talking about non-white male, uh, non-males. Well, non-white mm-hmm. males. We know how yeah. dominant that is. Um, 
who called it when they got the TV deal, like, well, they're going to have to conform to the TV. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter at all what they say. If TV doesn't want it, that's not what's going to happen. It looks like they're right. Look at that. A guy, a guy who does perfectly ask for a transparency, what he does is done differently, and maybe this isn't for you. Uh, well, tell me. Um, I still think they've done a disservice for a person of color, trans people of color, and queer and women in general. You have Nyla Rose, who's uh, your, your AEW women's champion. It should be your AEW women's champion. And even if you want to use her being trans as your storyline, perfect. Because now you have your heel, your monster heel, as your AEW women's champion. And then you can have the built-in controversy. Well, she used to be a man, so that's not fair. Well, so what? This is our women's division. So you already have that built in if you want to go that way. But even if you don't, okay, she's a woman. We're not even going to call attention to her past. Why is she not your dominant heel champion? Why is she not – why is she sitting – in the in the stands with no makeup on and the camera goes over to her it's like that's your main event should be your main event star why is she in the when was, when was the last time you watched a uh a wcw saturday night and and uh there's dusty Rhodes in the crowd even though he's wrestling later on he's he's your top star in the company but he's in the he's in the crowd along with everyone else or he's not on the show I I I don't get it. I no. I I AEW is doing a disservice because for not being in, inclusive, and like you said, it's not the talent's fault. The best women's wrestlers they have on that on that uh, in that whole company uh, broke her leg because of stupid work, because of horrible work done by the women in there that don't know what the hell they're doing. And she could be the best heel on uh, on best heel woman on on either show uh, arguably here's here's where i want to um disagree and correct you uh we're not using we're not using their queerness or their um transness as a uh, part of a storyline that's no. 1996 99 that's 1990s wrestling i get what you mean yeah that's done we're past that it's mm -hmm. not the crux of the issue. It should never be the crux. But of the only reason I brought it up, Dan, because it's AEW, and I wouldn't put it past them to use that if that were going if they were going to establish themselves as a national wrestling organization that's different from the WWE. Why not go back thirty years in time and use that? Um, not saying that they should, but that's why I didn't put it past them. But I, but your point is a good one. Go ahead. Yeah. No. 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 It's fine. I I got come reading off comments, the exact comments I wanted in the in 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 the comments. Uh, Sonny Kiss and Isla Rose aren't effing, I almost cursed, <laughs> aren't effing Goldust playing the queer panic angle. They are putting these people over. I don't think they're putting them over enough. No. That's my problem, that Nyla Rose should have been on top of that company. Yes. Period. She should still be on top of this company, yes. Over everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm real tired of hearing ability and, well, she, uh, she's not a good wrestler as in a common determine what enough is no i don't get to determine what enough is this is my opinion my exactly. opinion that's why it's not i am wrong. not the end all be all of wrestling i know that um what was i saying i'm really tired of people using the excuse of uh, ability and uh in ring t 
talent when uh, the past champions have been the past champions. <laughs> yes. I, I, I would, and I would have you, first of all, Nyla Rose is your, should be your, your dominant, awesome Kong-like champion and definitely shouldn't be uh, selling or losing to a 95-year-old, you know, 95-pound. 95-year-old? Well, 90, she weighs the same as a 95-year-old. You're a your, uh, <laughs> Japanese teenage girl champion. Um, should not be. That's that's the only thing that, that gets me. I guess my point is, is as far as the women's division, other than Nyla Rose getting TV time, uh, they're doing the bare minimum. Yeah. Bare minimum is not good enough for me. I, I wanted something different. I'm not getting anything different. Right now, Impact and WWE's women's division is better, minus some of the crappy storyline. Obviously. Um, I've opted out of wrestling for years for I call it wrestling, yeah, uh, because of its toxic as f culture. It's a no-brainer as to what I will watch in hours. Uh, what do you watch on TV right now? Do you do you have a set schedule, uh, Purple Flavor Trash, or do you just say, well, I guess I'll watch this week? I'm generally curious. Uh, Socks comment. In my opinion, AEW is not delivering what they said they would be as a company to an extent. I agree. As as do I. That's just that's just me. Yeah, again, um, the best wrestler they have, uh, Britt Baker, is, is sidelined because of carelessness, but she is... Uh, you see, I said that at the beginning, uh, Purple. Um, they got... They have her on TV, which is more than I could say about any other company. They, they Period. They won me over right there. And then they've done nothing with her, so I don't... Other people, uh, there are zero chance people on other promotions I see visibly. No, there's not. There's zero. Um, and uh, unless you're in the indies, which Paris is bumping's coming out soon, and uh, that was no pun intended. I can't wait for that show because that's going to open a lot of eyes. Uh, the other queer people as visible as I do on AEW, uh, they're not be they're not visible enough to me because I keep saying the same stuff every week, and it's not what I expected or wanted. Or I, I think AEW sucks. I think they, I, I, I think they're, they're. Uh, pardon the expression. I think they're pussyfooting around it. Uh, women's division is getting little to no spotlight. I also think, and this is just my opinion again. I am not the end all be all. This is just how I feel, Craig. I think the YouTube thing is stupid too. Put it on the show. Put that other stuff on the on the YouTube matches. Or at at least. Uh, show instead of putting a tr- instead of putting a tracker on the bottom of what we missed and they just show the highlights or show these people. I mean, uh, it's like Tully Blanchard gets more camera time on YouTube than he does on a national show. Um, and Tully Blanchard needs to be on television every week talking. And and if he doesn't say as much, Arn Anderson and I know t- I'm saying this as tag team appreciation. Uh, week is going on right now on AEW, but uh, that's definitely something that needs to be addressed, and I've made it clear they were misusing their talent, and the talent that they do have on there is bad. I mean, why do we have, uh, why was there a a fight last week, a a five-minute segment with MJF, but we got 20 minutes of Joey Janela in a match? That that should never happen under under any circumstances. No yeah, but but I mean that's just what that but that's my point of yeah. the, how you have people and even some like Sunny Kiss who I'm not knocking but uh, 
to see a guy like Cody Rhodes, your number one guy, bumping for him left and right. I, I don't know he's it's being a night, but now you're 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 putting Sonny Kiss on the same level as your your top guy, and they do that. And that I every seems like every AEW match they have to show off, you know, everyone getting an offense in. But you know, if you want wrestling to work, uh, I mean, we're going to see a twenty minute match between Ric Flair and George South. I mean that we we want that we're going to see um, what Dusty Rhodes wrestling uh, who uh, Ranger Ross and they go to commercial break because they can't get because the match is so competitive that they have to we have to go to commercial. Come on, uh, purple flavor trash. Can you um, reply to this and tell me if you are. I know you're happier with AEW. Are you satisfied with what they've done so far? Is Am I overreacting? If I'm overreacting, oh, here, here we go. I understand my threshold is different because as a trans um, person of color, my attachment to the representation of, oh man, big words, my <laughs> eyes, uh, of people who share those identities is important especially when for major promotions, there is zero. It's quite literally hundred percent more than other major promotions, whether or not that's enough is a shrug. I understand your point of view. Thank I, I you. Um, yeah. Leave a six. Yes, I am a nerd. Very good. Um, as are we. That, yes, as always. That's what I, uh, that is the answer I'm looking for, but see, here we are. You and I are having a discussion. Uh, we're having a discussion with purple flavor trash. We're having a discussion with Aaron. Uh, glow socks or by the way he's streaming now and you should go follow him yes Uh, but we're having a conversation about it Mm -hmm. you and i can have a conversation on the basis that you know i might not be correct about it and you might neither might you be yes for instance we just talked about it purple flavor trash is happy who the f am i (laughs) (laughs) to take away from that or insult something they like that much yeah. Nobody. Not not my place. And I can see it and accept that. I want to see. I personally, in my opinion, want to see uh, AW do a little more. We'll see what happens. Yes. Uh, it 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 was a good start. It is a good start, and it's miles away from WWE. Uh, as yeah. far as representation, many miles, which you don't have to try hard because WWE has. Yeah, I I still don't see them as being miles apart because they still do the same hokey. Not even an Indian understand. I'm mean, garbage. Yeah, no, I, you're allowed to feel that way. Here's the thing: I'm not even an AEW stan. I'm interested in the talent more than the promotion, but it is the promotion where it is happening. There you go, man. Okay. The answer I was looking for. <laughs> Straight up, the answer I was looking for. I want people to come on here and challenge me and have a discussion, which is, that's the thing, though. They have been a smokescreen for a while now. Oh, this is uh, Socks now. This thing, though, they've been a smokescreen for a while now, showing off a certain product, not delivering where they originally told, but what do I know? LOL. Everybody be nice. We're discussing here. No sarcasm. Uh, no, 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 uh, no. Com- be nice, everybody. I mean, Sonny just got a piece of Cody. I think it was three weeks. Yeah. Shouldn't happen. Hey, watch it, Aaron. Put your money where your mouth is, pal. I can't read that over the air, but 
Um, here's, here's my thing. We're in here discussing this and chatting about it. Um, where this is where I'm, oh, I know you are. I, I know you are. I know you are, Aaron. And his storyline with Janelle is super effing contagious. It gets a pop. Oh, I will, Daddy Dan. Well, Craig, if you can see the conversation in this room right now, I'll tell you what. Oof, you're, a lucky, you're a lucky man, Dan. But uh, I am very, thank you. More than you know, sir. <laughs> the, um, the point I was coming back around on is divisiveness. Yeah. This, you're trying to get me to blush. Uh, pass that. Um, I love you both. You guys are cool. We're having a conversation about it. You both are cool. Everybody, all, everybody in the chat room has been real cool, except for the nerd person. I don't know where they went, but, you know, calls them like a season. So divisiveness. I have gone back to watching Zero Wrestling. Good. Like I said at the top of the hour. Uh, top of the hour. What am I, Tony? <laughs> top of the show. I, you're not allowed to like, uh, uh, you know, and it's, eventually I'll start watching it again because I'm just going to stop tweeting about it and posting about it, mm-hmm. which is part of the problem. Just go back to enjoying what I like and not sharing my thoughts about it because you're not allowed to do that. If this was if this was Twitter, purple flavor trash would not be allowed to feel that way. They'd be wrong. Uh, if Sox was on Twitter right now, and he will be soon, and God help everybody on Twitter when he does. <laughs> I think he called Devin Nunez a cuck, and he got he got paid for it. I think that's what happened. Um, you're just you're not allowed to have an opinion about wrestling anymore. I think the TNT championship is an ugly belt. It is. And then they finished it. It's still fugly. I hate that belt. That woman's title is terrible. That's just my opinion. But I can't say anything because it's AEW. Likewise, it's WWE. Anybody who has a valid argument about their storylines, and let's face it, it's almost 90% garbage on TV right now in WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are the worst person in the world, and you're not allowed to think that way. I'm so tired of talking about wrestling with anybody but you and the f- friends that come into the chat and I talk to on Twitter privately because you can't have a conversation publicly because you, you get yelled at and get called names, and it turns into a big cluster. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I was back into wrestling after I took three weeks off after uh, the primetime implosion. Uh-huh. Got back into it again and actually watched less WWE that week. Those wow. two weeks. I watched more AW impact and uh, well, that was it because uh, MLW was showing like um, stuff from the vaults, which is fun, but nothing mm-hmm. live. I know ring of honor is going back into production. I think next week, excuse okay. me, next week. Great. And I know fans are in AEW tonight, believe it or not. There are fans in the building. I did not know that. Wow. Okay. Quite a handful of them, too. And I'm like, okay. So, but uh, you just, uh, it, Twitter's become just, uh, and it's because everybody can't go anywhere and there's a pandemic and there's no conversation anymore. It's just, bi- I, sorry, I get paid for features. What are you sorry for? You get paid for feet. Uh, oh, I'm not supposed to say that out loud. Uh, 
Uh, I can't do I'm ADD. I can't do two at the same time. Two conversations at the same time. We'll have that conversation later. Um, so yeah, I don't know, Craig. How do you feel about you stay off the Twitter Tweety machine when it comes to wrestling for the most part? I, I do stay off the twi- the 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 fire breathing Twitter machine when it comes to uh, to wrestling, uh, and and on in both companies, um, only because uh, and I. I know what you're saying facetiously. You can't say anything. Uh, I never comment on uh, on wrestling. Uh, probably the only site I I do visit is the uh, old old time uh, wrestling or or Bill After site because he's got uh, old magazines and old interviews. And I'll somebody says, "Where were these belts from?" And I can just chime in and say, "Oh, these are from the Southern Tag Team Champions from 1974 or something like that." Or correct, or, or if somebody goes, I never saw this before, and I say, well, this is from you know, the one like the, the the picture of Jimmy Hart at the Road Warriors. Jimmy Hart managed the Road Warriors one time in 1984 when they came to Memphis, when they were on there. This is back when they were the national tag team champions in Georgia, but we're going to every single territory in the United States. Right. And Jimmy Hart managed them one night in Memphis, and so with Jimmy Hart and the Road Warriors. Oh my God! That's like yeah. And then, but as far as the current product, no, I don't. I don't comment on it because there's nothing to comment on. I think it's ridiculous. Um, AEW uh, has great talent, but they have lousy booking. They give way too much emphasis or and attention to the wrong people at the wrong time. Um, I'm glad they went back to Matt Hardy being Matt Hardy and not, you know, three thousand year old Matt Hardy with the drones and the he gets drowned in a pool and comes back up as someone else and that kind of thing, that that sitcom hokey stuff. Uh, MJF should be on TV every single week. They have the gift of the single best tag team on earth given to you and a, with a built-in feud with the Young Bucks and you blow it. You have them at face the Young, then the very next week they're teaming with them in an eight-man team. You remember when when the, the, the original Midnight Express attacked Jim Cornette's Midnight Express? <laughs> and the, remember the week after that, that they teamed up together in an eight-man team against uh, the Road Warriors and the Powers of Pain? No, because it didn't happen. Because that's not how you build a, a, a feud between the two teams that you want to feud with. You don't team them up. And they've already done it twice. So AEW's direction is messed up. Um, Kind of like what we were talking about before we went on the air with our with the local basketball team. Uh, there's where's where's the leadership? Where's one person in charge? Uh, there isn't that in AEW. I mean, there's the one guy that signs the checks, but there's not one Bill Watts, Dusty Rhodes type person that everything. This person is in charge. This person says what goes. In AEW, you got. You know, because Jericho's got his input, Cody has his input, and Kenny Omega has his input, and it's one guy, one, and it, and it shows because of the lackluster direction that they have, and the matches against uh, jobbers against and, uh, your your lower card tag teams are getting as much time as your your top level tag team. And what I love about AEW, because they have so many great tag teams, but everyone doesn't deserve to have the, you know, one, one, it's like one week the Ding Dongs are the, the opening match, and the next week they're the main event against uh, Chris Jericho's team, the heel team. And it's like, how does that work? And there's, there's no direction. 
and WWE is just WWE. It's um, sad that we've come to this. I'll say it again. I'll say it on the show. The two, the two weeks that I was watching as much wrestling as possible, Impact was the best show both weeks. Okay. And that's with me skipping the domestic abusers. One of them <laughs> who's been ducking me for years because he's a coward. Because he's a coward. Doesn't know who I am. I know who he is, though. I know who you are. Before we get to wrestling historian, sir. Yeah. We lost another legend this week. We did. Uh, 70 years. Uh, he, uh, he graced us with his presence. And maybe uh, the beneficiary of maybe the greatest gimmick ever. Because uh, he got more than 30 years out of it. Yes, he did. <laughs> You know, uh, we we talked about The Undertaker in our last um, show on HIAC Talk Radio, and, they, and it, uh, obviously given that The Undertaker was the greatest gimmick that the WWE ever created, but the greatest wrestling gimmick ever created, um, what have to go with uh, James Sugar Bear Harris, who, uh, as Sugar Bear Harris, had a very limited career, um, and very little success. He had some regional success in the, in the South uh, as James Sugar Bear Harris. And he started you know, wrestling and, um, and he was in his 20s. And uh, he uh, in for the Roy Lee Welch category and he won a, some tag team titles. He went over to, to England and uh, won a championship over there. And it's like, well, obviously he can wrestle. No. Uh, because this was a six foot six American. So people in England just catered to that. And even though he was six foot six and an and anomaly, even at six foot six, six foot seven, a legit 300 pound man, uh, he had not a speck, speck of athletic talent, uh, absolutely no mobility. And to put it in wrestling terminology, his work was the, the drizzling S. And uh, so he couldn't get booked throughout you know the south in the in instead of the major arenas in the south he got in in continental and in royley welch's uh mid mid america uh um, federation that was small but he went to uh he was friends with i think buddy wayne who was wrestling in memphis for jerry lawler and uh he went there before the matches and jerry lawler saw this huge six foot seven enormous 340 pound black man Nicest guy in the world. And that's what we'll hear about uh, what you did hear about uh, James Harris uh, since his passing to everyone who knew him. Nicest guy in the world. Great guy. Um, that's what Jerry Lowry said the first time you met him. Great guy. He just couldn't work. So they came up with the idea, who? And the thing is, Dan, in the history of professional wrestling, when has there ever been uh, let's make a character about someone who doesn't know how to wrestle, who can't wrestle. Uh, James Harris. Goldberg. And, and, Only yeah. Goldberg was not as good as a gimmick. I was kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it was but sarcasm. James, but, but James Harris, uh, being a natural, in a fight, could knock you out with one punch. But he couldn't throw a working punch to save his life. So, and that's the thing about what people miss about the art of wrestling. Anyone can punch. But wrestling, you have to learn how to throw a punch. He didn't know how to do that. So Jer Jerry Lawler, 
came up with the idea uh, to turn him into something else. So James Sugar Bear Harris, uh, through the mind of Jerry Lawler, came up with the, uh, which now would be uh, incredibly in racially insensitive storyline of this Ugandan giant. And that he even had the, the idea of bringing James J. Dillon, who was not a Memphis, who was not known in Memphis, who was a Florida manager. And that James J. Dillon was on safari in Africa when this giant Goliath of a man stopped his, his uh, safari tour and slayed a beast or stopped a Jeep with his hands. And James J.J. Dillon, again, in a racially insensitive storyline that would not fly today, tamed this wild beast and brought him back to America. Uh, later on, the gimmick was, uh, the storyline gimmick was altered that he was the bodyguard of uh, dictator Idi Amin um, before he was brought to the United States. But he was brought in to Memphis. Really? Yes. Uh, later on, the storyline of Kamala was that he was dictator Idi Amin's bodyguard. But for his first match in Memphis, Jerry Lawler told James Harris before the, before the bout, um, you don't know how to, you're, you're James Harris, you, you don't know how to wrestle legitimately, but now you're Kamala, so you never wrestle, you don't know how to wrestle. So chops, you know, slaps, okay, slams, kicks, everything, all like that. And Jerry Lawler, still Hall of Famer, because he could sell his ass off. And that's exactly what he did. And all the, the paint you see on Kamala and every paint job, you every time you saw him in Memphis, that was all done by Jerry Lawler before the match. Jerry Lawler, professional, a professional artist, uh, went to the University of Memphis on an art scholarship. Uh, so he, he would paint up Kamala every before every match, the face and the, the, the moon and the stars on his chest and belly. So his first match, he's selling, Jerry Lawler's selling like mad for this Ugandan giant. It was wreaking havoc, and he got blood and everything like that. And uh, Lawler beat him by disqualification. And the next week, Kamala beat uh, Bobby Fulton. And then he beat Tommy Rogers. And then he beat Steve Kern. And then he beat Stan Lane. And then he beat Bobby Eaton. And then he went to, to Jerry Lawler and pinned him clean. For the, for the Southern Heavyweight Championship. There's no gimmicks. There was no outside interference. Just squashed. Just like that. And that was in June. And Lawler regained it in August. And after that, because once you beat the Giant, prove that he can be beaten, he had, you got to move on. And that's what he did. And from then, Kamala went to the Mid-South. Because he had, just from his reputation in, in Memphis. And the reputation came, Dan, from a single video. This is the beginning of the 80s where videos were key. They shot this video of Kamala, six foot seven, 340 pounds from the wilds of Africa, Kamala. And the, the camera going from his feet all the way up to the top of his head, they got dry ice and it made it look like Kamala, they found him in the jungle. That video was shot in Jerry Jarrett's backyard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. 
but that video, follow Kamala, every territory he went, that's the video that they showed. When he went to Mid-South, they showed that. When he went to Florida, they showed that. When he went to World Class, they showed it. When he went to the AWA, and by this time, the video is six years old, but Kamala from Uganda. And that was all shot with dry ice in Jerry Jarrett's backyard that made it look like he was roaming the jungle and in his natural habitat. And that's where he was. But that was the, the magic of video and the image of Kamala that follows him everywhere. From, from Memphis, he went to Mid-South under Bill Watts' tutelage. And I don't know, and again, not to be racially insensitive, but Bill Watts was a big black man. He always turned into money. JYD, Ernie Ladd, Kamala. You give, you give Bill Watts a big black man, He's gonna get. He's gonna get a whole lot of money out of him. I mean, you're black. I don't think you can apologize for being racially insensitive like that. No, I mean, but I don't know what it is with, with Bill Watts though. When he had it like thrown. Oh, he's a racist. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> all I, all all right, I'll say it. If Bill Watts wants to be racist to me and get me that kind of money, <laughs> yeah. That, that, but but Bill Watts when he got after he went from Memphis to Mid South. <laughs> And he, again, just like he would put right away with the big guys, right away with Junkyard Dog, right away with Andre the Giant. He slammed Andre the Giant on Mid-South TV, okay, during a Saturday afternoon show. Before Hulk Schmuck. Before Hulk Hogan did it, okay? Actually, not. It was after Hulk Hogan, but before WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan. That's what I meant, yes. Okay, yes. But, of course, but, you first, know. But that was the first, but Dan, that was the first body slam by Andre the Giant on free TV. Okay, that was during a Saturday afternoon Mid-South television show. He slammed Andre. And then he faced Andre at the Superdome later that year. That was in 84. From there, he went to, to world class. Pinned the Von Erich. Again, right away, pinned Kerry Von Erich. And it was against all three Von Erich brothers. Wrestled at the Parade of Champions in Texas Stadium. Uh, and from there to, to the AWA. And then he went to the WWF for a short while on Andre the Giant's re recommendation that they bring him to the WWF to feed Hulk Hogan. And his first time in the WWF was a short one. He came in and I did some house show matches and beat guys like Sal Balomo, Chief J Strongbow, some of the, the, uh, the stalwarts from the old WWF and uh, wrestled Hogan. And again, Andre in a cage match in the WWF. But then he became one of the last free agents in the 80s, back when all three major corporations were not cooperating with each other. Within a span of one year, Kamala went from main eventing with Hulk Hogan in the late 84 to going against Sergeant Slaughter in the AWA in April of 85. And then he wrestled Magnum TA for the United States Championship at the first Great American Bash in summer of 85. And he's in all three federations without a contract in any one of them, but he was in main event matches in all three territories and under in all three major federations in under a year. And he, when he went back to the WWF in late 86, that's when the big run came with Hogan and uh, the, the action figure and the, the, the major marketing uh, went through and he became a main event guy uh, and feuded with Jake Roberts, feuded with, with Hogan, feuded with uh, King Kong Bundy, of all people. And, 
and but and by then he went to uh back to the AWA and uh went to lots of indies and could pretty much write his own ticket because of his gimmick that he had just uh Kamala being on the card even if it was an indie card meant something and you were going and people would would pay to see or people would want to see when he went to the WCW in the uh, early 2000s again I mean with the late uh, late 90s when Hogan was there Hogan brought him back and they had a match at, at a clash of champions once Hogan versus Kamala and uh he would continue to write his own ticket and uh wrestle in, in indies uh when he was when he was done with the uh the big, the big two at this point, WCW and WWF. Uh, there was a story about he when uh, he wrestled the Undertaker uh, in a one match, and uh, Kamala's payoff was thirteen thousand, and the Undertaker got fifty thousand. Uh, the Undertaker disputes that story, but there were obviously there was a hierarchy that he wasn't happy with, so that was the last time he he wrestled. And it's weird, Dan, that his last matches coincided with this week uh his last match in the wwf took place 15 years ago this week on august 11th 2005 he wrestled randy orton on a, an edition of smackdown well hell <laughs> yeah and uh, under and it was ruled a no contest because the undertaker uh appeared on the big screen and uh distracted randy orton I think that was leading up to their SummerSlam match. And Kamala's last match ever took place August 15th, 2010 at a JCW show. When he teamed up. You saying Juggalo Championship Wrestling? I am saying Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Kamala's last match, he teamed up with Weed Man to go up against the haters. And that would be his last match ever as a pro. And it took place. Uh, Ten years ago, this Saturday, August fifteenth, two thousand ten, was his last match. Wow! Yeah, and his last match for the WWF was August eleventh, two thousand five. Uh, interesting things about Kamala. Uh, from the time he started wrestling, uh, when he was twenty four years old, uh, his wife, Kamala, was married from nineteen seventy four to two thousand five. So for his entire wrestling That doesn't career, happen in wrestling. 31 years. Not much. Married to the same woman. Wow. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we know the story of Kamala's later, later life. He lost his left leg to uh, diabetes. I was going to say, before all that, he was the first guy to uh, – he was one of the first guys to kind of come out other than superstar Billy Graham and talk about all of the BS that happened backstage – politicking and otherwise sexual favors if you will uh, at the wwe he was the first one and he did it in songs so he did it in the style that nobody else did <laughs> james harris as kamala wrote over a hundred songs uh, my personal favorite it's available i have it on vhs oh god i can't find it on youtube anywhere um i guess it's up to me to put it on youtube but his rendition of let's make love in a rocking chair is my favorite Kamala song of all time. Yes, Dan, it's on. I it's on V. I have it on VHS. Excuse me. His "Let's Make Love in a Rocking Chair." All right. 
Song by Kamala, and it, the video is him in a suit with full Kamala makeup on in a recording studio saying, let's make love in a rocking chair. No, thank you. <laughs> it, you have to see it to believe it. I know that's cliche, but it's a guy. No, I need to see that. Uh, uh, the what, song I'm referring to, ladies and gentlemen, and otherwise, is uh, um, Push Is it called Push It and Pull It or just Push It? Probably push it. Uh, yeah, I mean, this stuff was WWE was exposed years ago. Nobody cared. Yeah, <laughs> but that's just like, Kamala. What uh, you said. Way, I was going to say the way I'm to understand it. Unfortunately, he it was uh, complications due to COVID nineteen and his uh, medical history. Yeah, and his immune system was shot because. Um, he uh, lost his right leg to diabetes in 2006, and we lose his left leg uh, the following year. He contracted the coronavirus on August 6th, uh, and because of his poor immune deficiency, uh, succumbed to the disease uh, earlier this week. Uh, when you said, Dan, he was one of the first people outside of superstar Billy Graham to um, talk about the company, that alone, I believe, is why he's not in the WWE Hall of Fame. Oh, because wait. why I always call the WWE Hall of Fame just—it's completely arbitrary. It's whether or not you get along with Vince. It's there's no real Hall of Fame. There's no because if there was, uh, the the people that should be in there should be in there regardless of how personal feelings aside. I it's a Coco Beware rule. If Coco Beware is in any Hall of Fame, <laughs> but Ivan Koloff. Uh, King Kong Bundy and Kamala or not, then it's not a real Hall of Fame. Bundy's not in. Nope. You blew my mind here. Yeah, but Kamala isn't in the Hall of Fame. And well, if only they were here to kiss Vincent. I'm sorry. Yeah. Listen, uh, but- there's some things I'm glad people apologize for because we got the Billy Graham DVD. We got the Jake DVD. Uh this is for selfish reasons, but obviously yeah. not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we got the Bret Hart DVD and that was a great DVD that finally came out that took a look at his whole career and had an interview with him. Mm-hmm. Very ha- glad for that. Very glad we got the CM Punk one before he left. Uh, yeah. so he have to say, <laughs> sorry, F you Vince. Um, but yeah, the, the, we, it was mentioned stadium journey did a podcast on best sports hall of fames. Mm-hmm. And Somebody commented, well, WWE has one, right? And I broke the news to them. But no, they don't. No. You mean, what do you mean they don't? They don't. There's no building. There's no garage. Uh There's nothing. There's nothing anywhere commemorating any of this. You get a plaque in a ring, and you get to talk incessantly, possibly under the influence of alcohol for a half hour or more, if you're um, Mr. T, three hours. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that's it. There's nothing yeah. else. There's there's no there's nowhere to go, mm-hmm. which I agree with you. If there's no building, what's the there's no yeah. There's no point. It's, it's just an ego stroke. It's it's I, I get it. It's a way to recognize the contributions of uh, wrestlers that have performed there in the past. But um, if you're doing it completely arbitrary for the people that you got along with, not for the people that help build your company, uh, if there is no uh, you can have a Bruno Sammartino who didn't get into the 2000s, the one, your first champion of all time and your greatest champion 
and he's not in your Hall of Fame, and even the guy that beat him, the only guy to ever beat him in Madison Square Garden, you don't have a Pedro Morales. You don't get a Pedro Morales without an Ivan Koloff. You don't have an eight-year reign ended without an Ivan Koloff. You don't have a, a, a Russian heel, and every Russian heel from the beginning of wrestling, you start with Ivan Koloff. And every that means Nikita, that means Crusher Khrushchev, that means Boris Yukov, that means Nikolai Volkov, that means it starts with Ivan Koloff. But no, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Kamala James Harris had the single greatest gimmick in professional wrestling. Period. A gimmick, uh, period. A, a gimmick made about a guy who doesn't know how to wrestle. And he took it and he did the, the Rick Rude route, went to every single territory and main event it and just got better and better. Maybe not a better wrestling wrestler, obviously, because he wasn't a better, he wasn't a wrestler to begin with. But you have, you, you embody a character that goes, that sells out everywhere in every territory, even up to the biggest territory, the biggest national uh, wrestling organization in the world. Okay, you haven't changed one thing. And that proves, because what, what works in Memphis is not always going to work in the WWF. What works it's in good. world class isn't going to work in the WWF. What worked in the AWA isn't going to work. It did. And he never said a word. You... It just occurred to me, Craig, you saying that. Literally, the only gimmick that I know of that was across the board, zero changes whatsoever. No name change, music change, maybe, you know, barely it was drums. Um, it just occurred to me. That's the only one that's never changed. Nope. Wow. I yeah. mean, the, the, the Kamala I got was like Legion of Doom Kamala at the end of the, yeah, you know, the WCW Hulk Hogan thing. But I still knew who Kamala was and what, a big, what that meant. It was freaking Kamala. Yeah. You, you, and it, it just, again, one name, and it says it all. And when you saw him for real or even if you saw him uh, on TV, uh, you never forgot him, and he, because he spanned so he spanned generations, fathers knew him and sons knew him, uh, and you didn't forget where you were when you when you first saw him. And uh, he was a generational talent, and going on thirty years with one gimmick again, never said a word, always had a, a handler, and where whether it was J.J. Uh, Dillon or Percy or Skandor Akbar who had him for the most time then or then King Curtis or he was a wizard in the WWF and Fred Blassie had him that infamous uh, TNT segment when they had a live chicken on set and <laughs> cut away and cut back and he's got feathers all over his mouth uh, I took him to see I, I took my dad to see a, a Spectrum show in 85, in 85 and uh he came out with loud African music. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> so loud. And we came in the ring with the big, with the spear and the, and the head and slapping his belly. My dad could not stop laughing. <laughs> he thought this was the greatest thing. And he yelled, throw him a bone. 
everyone's and yeah. So wow, think, your dad said that. <laughs> yes, my dad said that. <laughs> so okay, as a black man, looking back on it, mm-hmm. your opinions on that whole thing? Again, it would not. I the racially insensitive storyline would not work now, uh, and only reason it worked for thirty years because it had already been established. But uh, imagine right now, uh, some white man just said, "Yeah, I was on safari in uh, Africa, and I saw this big, you know, seven foot." Three and a band, and I tamed him, and I brought him back to the country to uh, wreak havoc on everyone else. And I'm going to give him a spear, and I'm going to give him a, a little ring through his nose, and he's not going to speak. And yeah, so ooh, man, exactly. So, uh, like Mr. Wrestling too, I mentioned before, uh, the right time and the right temperament and the right um, uh, the right gimmick, and in it worked. It couldn't work any other and in any other time. Uh, and Kamala, James Harris, no one else could do that but him. You know, Sugar Bear Harris was never going to be a wrestling star ever. A six foot seven, legit 310 pound man that looked like that, who you would think had it written all over. I mean, what's wrong with him? He could be another Ernie Ladd. He could have been another one man gang. No, he was horrible he was just bad but jerry lawler uh saw something and he always the idea man this is the man that came up with the fabulous ones yeah. uh, and that gave birth to the rock and roll express which who has just was just on tnt right now another gimmick that uh has longevity but the mind of jerry lawler uh is a man he's a, he's a visionary and he saw he looked at james sugar bear harris and said I can do something with this guy. It's so weird as a white guy to look back on that. Like, Kamala, it's like, I always cheered him because he wanted to kill Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> like, it never it never occurred to me as a young kid that the implications of that. Yeah. Until, you know, there's a period of time you don't see him on TV. Mm-hmm. You start watching old matches and you're like, is this? Is this? A- uh, yeah. Or the or the the storyline when the slick was trying to domesticate him. I don't he, remember that. He turned face, and um, he had wow. take, he had taken slick had taken him away from Mr. Fuji because he thought Mr. Fuji was mistreating him. So he came over with slick, and he turned face, and slick was going to turn him into a man. And it's, and it's like, and they have fans chanting, "You're a man! You're a oh, man!" Oh, oh, damn it! And, WWE. And he would, uh, when he would pin the guy, you know, because of the commodity, he would do a big splash on the guy's back and he would forget to roll him over. He wanted the referee to count, but his shoulders weren't down. So when he would do it with Slick, Slick would get the whole crowd to say, roll him over, roll him over. So he rolled him over and he counted three. And then when Slick would get in the ring and try to give him to, get, get him to walk because, you know, Kamala was always hunched over. And then Slick gave him a hat, and, and Slick put on his hat and, and walked, and he gave Kamala the hat and wanted him to walk. And then after much consternation, he put the hat on, and then he just walked across the ring like James Sugar Bear Harris, and the place went nuts. And then he went right back into quivering Kamala. And so, yeah, so that was <laughs> – um, yeah, so yeah, no, that happened. No, you can't do that anymore. Nope, couldn't do that. Can't do that anymore. But – um. Or if you, I'm okay with that. The uh, I I think I shared with you the great outtakes that uh, Gene Okerlund did when they were doing the press junkets and uh, Kamala was late 
and uh, you got to hear Kamala in his real voice when Gene said, where the have you been? You know, you're supposed to have been here 10 minutes ago, and that's something. But, uh, yeah, but but every, pers- every person to a man, from Jerry Lawler to Hogan to Andre to Undertaker, uh, nothing but a nice guy. No one had any bad things to say about James Harris. James Harris had plenty of bad things to say about the wrestling business and how he was treated. Uh, and despite all the money he made and all the crowds that he performed in front of, probably was not as paid as well as he should. I think he, I re- one thing. I think he said I, I made more under Bill Watts than I did under in the WWF, even though I was main event against Hogan. Jesus. Well, that's but, uh, friggin' Hogan for, in a nutshell for you. Yeah. Brother. Yeah. But um, <sighs> <laughs> but James Harris, uh, so, uh, you know, we all, obviously, we remember the, the Kickstarter campaign that happened about eight years ago when we I mean, found yeah. out. Who I helped. Down on his luck, and as did I when he had lost his leg. Uh, and it continued on. Uh, Chris Jericho uh, donated $5,000 for uh, his uh, funeral expenses. Uh, because again, uh, uh, in uh, Bubba Ray Dudley and Tommy Dreamer had pl- uh, plenty of great things to say about uh, Kamala on their podcast. And I don't think Tommy even met. Uh, I, I I think Bubba never even met him. But um, just with the amount of memory that they have of him, you know, or anyone that's seen him, you know, how could you not uh, want to help a guy who's helped, who's given so many great memories and so many. And just one of the great heels in in wrestling history, and beat so many top guys, uh, just with absolutely no wrestling at all. I mean, this is a guy who's pinned Jerry Lawler, he's pinned Kerry Von Erich, guys on pin Billy Jack and Junkyard Dog, Body Slam, Monterey the Giant. Um, not a lot of people can say all that to be a top guy everywhere he appeared, with a gimmick where he didn't talk. I had a uh, sorry. I had a, a follow up thought, but I forgot what the question was going to be about Kamala. But um, thank you, Harry, for taking us on a trip back to, to listen. Gimmick aside, was a good man and uh, should be talked about in nothing but a positive way. Because I haven't heard anything about him in a negative way either. No. So uh, yeah, it, it deserved a lot uh, more than he had uh if they put him in the hall of fame at this point is it ju- do you even like accept it uh you all think you, you saw the graphic before monday night raw they put up before it started i didn't watch raw so no <laughs> thought, yeah yeah well they put up a, a graphic i'm glad they did good yeah, i figured yeah, they which, would which which is great um if they, if they put him in um yeah um it would be something but i then i would say well, okay well then why wasn't and where was it for Bundy? And where was it for Ivan Koloff? Not putting one over the other, but um, I just think in in terms of of that, it just it's just lip service. I again because there's no Hall of Fame. It's a great conversation. We should have it another time. Um, I agree. Uh, not uh, people who should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't, and what reasons? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we know why because it's either for whoever didn't get along with Vince because Kamala had the nerve or even had the the forthright to say I was the, I felt cheated by this company and things that it did. And now, um, not, who's to say that had he gotten his his desert, his justice or had he got what was owed, had he got the money he was due, 
or had he been treated better, his health still would have declined. He still could have very easily have just lost, you know, his leg to diabetes after he was diagnosed with this, after, you know, his career was over or he had it probably the whole time. I don't think that could have saved, you know, or, or kind of would have done anything for his health. I think it would have been better for his peace of mind. Uh, uh, I don't want to say he died bitter, but I know he wasn't particularly happy with. Um, I'm sure he died a little bitter. Yeah, I'm sure, but I don't. I hate that anyone have to die like that. But well, I'm gonna die bitter. Many things. <laughs> gonna be many things that I don't resolve. Less important than the Kamala bitterness, but still, I want to thank you again for uh, now that I'm paying attention and the Flyers scored again. Uh, I was paying attention, but I was just like, yeah, I know. A uh, question? What? <laughs> I thought of something. Uh, thank you for, that yeah, it's two one flyers as of this recording for now. So thank you for taking us the trip. I want to thank Purple Flavor Trash for conversating during our initial discussion in this episode. Well then, uh, as much as we are still reeling from the uh, unfortunate death, seven years old of the great James Sugar Bear Harris, and we. Uh, I regaled everyone with his tales of uh, daring do and his illustrious career. Why don't we stay back when professional wrestling was professional wrestling, back when territories actually meant something, and back where you could wrestle in more than one federation at a time, uh, back when fans were fans and not the universe, back where you can call titles belts. Where Twitter didn't exist. Where Twitter didn't exist, where you can have an opinion and not be vilified for it. Uh, this, my friends, is the Wrestling Historian. Uh, we're going to go back to August 2nd, a date which was uh, very, was um, recognized earlier uh, on social media on the self-same Twitter that uh, we so deride. Uh, but on August 2nd, still something to, uh, to be shared, August 2nd, 1992, Baltimore, Maryland, WCW heavyweight champion Big Van Vader defending against Ron Simmons and the the crowd, the the pop, the atmosphere that night. Uh, Vader going for the Vader bomb. Ron Simmons going over top. Vader bouncing off the rope, and Ron Simmons catching Big Van Vader and a tremendous power slam covering it for the one, two, three, and the amount of joy. When you look at that win again by Ron Simmons, look at the crowd, look at the young man in the blue shirt that came from the back row all the way to the front to see the, the three count and him jumping up and down with his hands on the guardrail to steady him because he's with every jump, he's going higher and higher with in elation over Ron Simmons winning the WCW Heavyweight Championship and being the first recognized black man to be a world heavyweight professional wrestling champion. You know what I noticed just as we were watching, sharing the footage on, on Facebook and shit mm-hmm. uh, this week? I cursed. I did it. I finally did it this week. Damn there you me. go. Um, that kid's not in the front row. <laughs> no. That kid runs about seven Always rows down. Yes. The quickest I've ever seen any <laughs> adult child teenager ever run down an arena step like it was one step from like row six or seven down to the guardrail and does that without killing himself 
<laughs> he first when anybody tries to in, like invalidate something like that, I just point to that kid and go, "Yeah, he sucked. What a draw he was, right?" That's what we don't have right now in professional wrestling. That's why it's hard to watch because there is not, it's not because there's no crowd because even when they're before the pandemic, when the place was packed, you didn't see that kind of emotion in any car. You didn't see a kid running from all the way in the back of the building, wanting to run in the front row just because he knew he had a chance to watch history. And then when he did, he couldn't contain himself because of the joy that he felt and the joy that we all felt when it happened because that was a complete shock because that whole card uh, was Sting was supposed to face Vader and he was laid out by the debuting Jake the Snake Roberts who Jim Ross pointed out he doesn't even wrestle here. And because of that... God damn it, Jake. uh, They had to pick a new challenger and uh, Ron Simmons' name was picked out uh, to challenge Vader for the uh, WCW Heavyweight Champion at the beginning of the show. And the rest is history. And Ron Simmons will forever be known as the uh, first black uh, WCW Champion in history, the first black recognized uh, world champion. Uh, no offense to Bobo Brazil or to Bearcat Wright, who owned a version of the WWA Heavyweight Championship in the late 50s when it was considered a world heavyweight champion. But uh, Ron Simmons, um, that's my tribute to him uh, for uh, this week. I have a question. Sir. Why didn't that last? Um, I don't that, know. That is a good question. Um, it's very vague. Like, I know it happened, and I remember Ron Simmons mm-hmm. watching him as a kid, and – I mean, I was happy he beat up Vader. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the cultural significance, of course, didn't hit me till I was much older. But <laughs> why? Did, uh, what? What the hell held that back? I, my thing, Dan, where I think would be lack of challengers. I think he. I think Ron's only pay per view main event was against the Barbarian of all people. Uh, I, he never had a, uh, a, a program with Rick Rude. I, Rick Rude was the uh, United States champion. I don't know how much of a moneymaker that would be. I just remember when Vader regained it, there was more main events and big crowds with Vader versus Sting and then Vader versus Flair um, than there was for Ron Simmons as champion. It might have been a um, – and Bill Watts was a booker back, back then, going back to Bill Watts. Uh, it might have been a Watts decision. Well, um, no comment. Yeah. I'm not I, allowed so, to talk about Bill Watts. <laughs> Even though he shoved Eric Watts down my throat for years, I'm not allowed to talk yeah. about that. Uh, and and caused more injuries than should have been because when he decided to take away the mats from from ringside because we're tough and that's what men do because we're not the WWF, we're going to take away the mats and that just increased injuries, you know, Stupid. 10 to 20 times. Uh, but, yeah. But – Regardless of how uh, long he, he held it, and even though he only held it once, uh, Ron Simmons made history August 2nd, 1992, beating Big Ben Vader to become the WCW Heavyweight Champion. August 3rd, 1983, an NWA TV taping in Spartanburg, 
North Carolina, Dan. The main event for that TV taping was, um, get this six man, uh, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and handsome Jimmy Valiant going up against Greg Valentine, Dick Slater, and the NWA TV champion, the great Kabuki. All right. That was the main event. But the uh, opening uh, for that TV taping, Dan, was the uh, NWA United States Heavyweight Champion, Greg Valentine, defeating Bret Hart. Oh, wow. Yep. August 3rd, 1983. That's amazing. Yeah. That's some weird, wild stuff. So, I mean, for some reason, I pulled out Gene Simmons, and I can't tell you why. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, that same date, August 3rd, 1991, right here. Philadelphia, a uh, very uh, memorable match. It still gets talked about only because of the amount of tapes that were traded on uh, from this particular match. The old Tri-State Wrestling Association, TWA, had a card here in Philly at Penn Hall on the University of Penn's campus. 550 of us about were crammed into this uh, hall on, on uh, University of Penn's campus with no air conditioning to watch a three-fall match, well, three-fall matches between Cactus Jack and Eddie Gilbert. They would wrestle each other three times on this card with three different stipulations. Uh, the opening bout was the Sandman. He defeated Rock and, the Rock and Rebel. And then uh, Cactus Jack defeated Eddie Gilbert in a Falls Count Anywhere match. And then the next match, Luna Vachon defeated Medusa by disqualification. That was a Philadelphia debut for both women. Uh, Buddy Landell defeated Austin Idol by disqualification. First time Buddy Landell or Austin Idol had ever wrestled in Philadelphia. First time seeing them. Either one of those guys wrestle live. I'd, I'd only seen them wrestle during the uh, – uh, well, Austin Idol had never seen wrestle, only through the magazines. And the second – um, match, Eddie Gilbert defeated Cactus Jack in a stretcher match. And uh, the Fantastics defeated Stan Lane and Jim Cornette because for some reason Bobby Eaton was in Kansas City on the WCW card teaming up with El Gigante. And the final match was Eddie Gilbert and Cactus Jack in a steel cage. And that went to a double disqualification. And how you end a cage match in a double disqualification, I do not know. But Cactus and Eddie both split a fall. And the final match, the first bout, uh, first match between them was a false count anywhere match. The second fall was a stretcher match. And the third fall was a cage match. <laughs> and uh, this was... Uh, legendary because uh, all the going back to 2010 when I was still going to uh, the indie, indie matches, that bout was still traded um, and the Eddie Gilbert Cactus Jack three falls match was traded uh, throughout most of the 90s and the early 2000s because there was no internet there was uh, the advent of cable TV hadn't been invented so that's the only time you could see that if you weren't in Philadelphia like I was, to see that match live, Cactus Jack and Eddie Gilbert, the three-fall extravaganza. Uh, August 4th, 1997. Uh, Monday Night Wars are in full effect. Uh, 
on Raw, Dude Love defeated Owen Hart in the main event. And in WCW Monday Nitro, Lex Luger defeated Hulk Hogan for the WCW Heavyweight Championship. One of the few times that Lex Luger, who had been anointed the Chosen One way back in 1987, and even given the single greatest push in WWF history, but this would be the first time. It'd be the second time as WCW champion, but the first time he actually beat the reigning champion. He never beat Ric Flair. He never beat Sting, but he defeated Hulk Hogan for the WCW heavyweight title August 4th, 1997. Oh, and as for ratings, uh, Monday Nitro did a 4.4, and Monday Night Raw did a 2.7. Wow. Also, to the Luger, I say. Yeah. <laughs> August 5th, 1996, landmark day in junior heavyweight title history, Dan, because the great Sasuke defeated Ultimo Dragon Ooh. in Tokyo, Japan. Now, the great Sasuke was already the IWGP junior heavyweight champion, but by defeating the Ultimo Dragon, he became the NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion, the War International Junior Heavyweight Champion, the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Champion, the UWA Junior Heavyweight Champion, the WWA Junior Heavyweight Champion, the NWA World Welterweight Champion, and the WWF Light Heavyweight Champion. The great Sasuke would unify all eight separate junior heavyweight titles to become the first unified J-Crown winner. Wow. So the J-Crown was invented August 5th, 1996. All the champions, the championship belts, uh, well, all the champions were in this tournament. So if you lost, you would lose your championship to whoever beat you. And that person would take your belt to face the next person in the tournament. And in the end, the great Sasuke defeated Ultimo Dragon to unify all eight belts and become the first J-Crown champion. Now, the J-Crown would only be around for another year and a half, but the most spectacular thing was when Ultimo Dragon won the J-Crown. Ultimo Dragon was already the... Uh, NWA junior heavyweight champion and he won he won the WCW cruiserweight belt. So the Ultimo Dragon, when he won the J Crown, became the most decorated heavyweight champion in history. He was the only and still the only reigning defending title holder of ten championship belts. A record that will never be broken. But the J Crown uh, had his first champion August 5th, 1996. We're going to go to August 8th, my father's birthday, but a big day in the year in the uh, career of Vern Gagne. Because get this, Dan, August 8th, 1961, Vern Gagne defeated Gene Kaniski to win his second AWA Heavyweight Championship. Two years later, August 8th, 1963, Vern Gagne would defeat Fritz von Erich to win his fifth AWA championship. So August 8th, 
in the life of Vern Gagne is very special. Wow. He beat Gene Kaneski in 1961 in Milwaukee, and he beat Fritz von Erich in 1963 in Texas. On that same date, August 8th, 1981, Wahoo McDaniel would defeat Roddy Piper for the United States Heavyweight Championship. This is a um, landmark win only because Roddy Piper had been the United States champion since January of that year. So Wahoo McDaniel just ended the eight-month United States title reign of Roddy Piper. Now, Roddy Piper being the United States champion in the Mid-Atlantic, or anyone being United States champion in the Mid-Atlantic for eight months was unheard of because this was a territory that had Ric Flair, Rick Steamboat, Greg Valentine, Paul Jones, and Blackjack Mulligan. Being United States champion for more than th- was maybe a three or four month reign. Roddy Piper, who just came in from the Pacific Northwest as a heel, the only man that ever turned Ric Flair a face, but had an eight month title reign where he, where they were bringing in guys left and right to try and challenge him. They turned wrestlers heel. I mean, they turn heel wrestler's face in order to, to, to take down Roddy Piper. Ric Flair turned face, couldn't defeat Roddy Piper. Ricky Steamboat couldn't do it. They changed, they turned Blackjack Mulligan face, he couldn't beat Roddy Piper. They turned Mass Superstar face, he couldn't beat Roddy Piper. Barry Windham changed his name to Blackjack Mulligan Jr., he couldn't beat Roddy Piper. Jay Youngblood <laughs> couldn't beat Roddy Piper. Finally, it's Wahoo McDaniel returning to the Mid-Atlantic, the place where he first became, first hit it big, and ended the eight-month reign of Roddy Piper. Before that, Dan, the longest reigning United States champion before Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka. Ah, no, held it for seven months. People sleep on the, on the Mid-Atlantic, on, the, on the, uh, the runs that people had there. Roddy Piper and Jimmy Snuka are known forever in WWF history, but only because of their run in, in the NWA in the Mid-Atlantic could they have gotten to be where they are in the WWF. People think Roddy, people know Roddy Piper from Piper's Pit and what a great heel he was. The heel he was in Mid-Atlantic was nothing compared to the heel he was in WWF. Yeah, I've heard that. That's where it started. Uh, and, I mean, it got so bad that Piper begged to be turned face because um, fans were coming after him. Um, one great story about Piper was uh, after he had beaten someone, I believe it might have been Steamboat, after a bout, a uh, fan came after him with a bowie knife and stuck it in his chest, just missed his heart, uh, made the local paper, made the police blotter. But because there was no internet back then and no wrestling dirt sheets, because uh, it was that night after Piper got out of the hospital, he begged Sandy Scott, you got to turn me face uh, because, you know, th- this is getting serious. Uh, they made up a story because while when it happened, a guy, the, that guy that came after Piper with a the, with the Bowie knife, there was a little girl there that, that Piper almost hit or the police went by and Piper took him out of the way, took her out of the way. That the story that they ran in the wrestling magazines that I bought and that I believed hook, line, and sinker, that Piper was out on the street and this knife-wielding maniac was threatening this little girl and Piper jumped in the way to save her life and he got the knife in his chest. So Piper was a hero and that's why he should be cheered 
And then later on, uh, that same uh, week, that's when he saved Gordon Soley from an attack, uh, first on the Mid-Atlantic and then on Georgia Championship Wrestling with uh, Magnificent Morocco. But that's how they got Piper over as a face. Uh, but the, the, the wrestling story was that he saved a little girl from a knife-wielding maniac, and that's why Piper is a hero and should be cheered accordingly. But before all that happened, uh, the Wahoo McDaniel ended the eight-month reign of Roddy Piper for the United States title. August 9th, 1980. It's all been building up to this. Dan, showdown at Shea. 36,295 fans came out to see. Shea Stadium has had three wrestling matches there, three wrestling cards there, all three headlined by Bruno Sammartino. Wow. First, uh, Bruno versus Pedro. Uh, then Bruno versus Stan Hansen, his first match back after his neck being broken. And then finally, Bruno versus Larry Zabisco in a cage to end their feud. But that card, Dan, is what really needs some attention because it was an international card. Uh, they brought Greg Gagne in from the AWA. He defeated the late, great, quick draw Rick McGraw. Uh, the WWF Junior Heavyweight Champion, Tatsumi Fujinami, defeated Chavo Guerrero, who they brought from the NWA all the way from Los Angeles. Antonio Inoki was on that card. Flew in from Japan, defeated Larry Sharp, of all people. Uh, you know, Andre the Giant defeated Hulk Hogan by disqualification, not before getting body slammed, though. That was the first time I saw Andre body slammed, or the second time I saw him. I had already saw that happen a month earlier, right here in Philly at the Spectrum. But uh, at Shea Stadium was the first time a lot of people got to see Andre slammed on a national basis. Bob Backlund, the WWF heavyweight champion, teamed up with Pedro Morales, and they defeated the Samoans for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Wow. Bob Backlund had to give up his uh, one half of the tag team titles, and Pedro Morales gave up his half of the tag team titles because he wanted to concentrate on winning the Intercontinental Championship from Ken, from then champion Ken Batera. Ken Batera was also on that card, and he lost to Tony Atlas by disqualification. And while Ken Batera was the Intercontinental Champion, uh, he was also the Missouri State Champion at the same time. So he held the WWF title and an NWA title. And of course, the main event, Bruno defeating Larry Zabisco in a cage by climbing out before Zabisco. Zabisco was never pinned, so he can save face. And the heel career and the career itself of Larry Zabisco uh, got its kickstart right there, August 9th, 1980. That same date, August 9th, 1986, St. Louis, Missouri, Ric Flair defeated Dusty Rhodes to win his then fifth NWA Heavyweight Championship. The Horseman had attacked Dusty before the bout, injuring his leg. Ric Flair put the figure four on Dusty, and Dusty passed out from the pain. Got his shoulders pinned. Dusty would lose the NWA title, and that will be his third, and ending his third and final NWA championship reign. 
during the August 10th, the greatest day in human history. Uh, and I share my birthday with fellow legend, uh, Fred Ottoman, who you may know as Big Steel Man, who you may also know as Tugboat, who you may also know as Typhoon, but who we all know as the Shockmaster. We uh, all know as the Shockmaster. We do. Uh, turned 64 on my birthday. And I'm afraid I got some bad news, Dan, because Wade Barrett turned 40 on my birthday. Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, first of all, happy birthday. Thank you. And next week we'll be talking about mine. That's right. So I'll save it for... August uh, is a good month. August is a great month. Maybe the best of all months. I agree. And, and no good month ever dies. If it was uh, any cooler than 80 or 100 degrees, I'd, it'd be the perfect month. It would be the perfect month. Uh, and, and also August 10th, uh, why I mentioned some birthdays, there is also the start of something else on this date. August 10th, 1977, Dan, in Tampa, Florida. B. Brian Blair lost about to making his pro wrestling debut the day before his birthday, Terry Boulder. <laughs> Terry Boulder defeated Brian Blair in his pro wrestling debut August 10th, 1977. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I want to bring up this date, August 11th, 2007. Uh, even though it's not that far away, I just thought uh, the WWE wellness policy sometimes gets a bad rap, but or not a bad rap, but the fact that there there has one or there needs to be one. Well, on this date, on the standard wellness policy physical that they gave uh, to Montel Von Davies Porter, who was then the reigning defending United States champion, well, they gave him a standard wellness policy physical, and they found out that he had an irregular valve in his heart. It's called Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. And had he wrestled without the physical, uh, he conceivably could have died of, of a heart attack. Jesus. Or just doing anything strenuous. And the procedure itself, uh, it was a radio frequency type of surgery that he needed that one in 1,000 people die from. Jesus. One in 1,000 people die from the surgery. But it was performed successfully on MVP. Uh, this was 13 years ago. Uh, clean bullet health now, obviously. And earlier this week, signed to a multi-year deal from the WWE. Uh, he's the head of a new stable that I really like, the Hurt Business, with two other guys uh, that are, have been given. We were talking earlier in the in the previous HIAC Talk Radio about guys not giving the year. Uh, given the short shrift and not given the amount of exposure. Uh, MVP is a leader now of the Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker, the Hurt Business. Uh, yeah, he's the leader of the uh, Oscar-winning uh, film, The Hurt Locker, with Shelton Benjamin and uh, Bobby Lashley. But I have to say about MVP, um, he, Bobby Lashley, and Shelton Benjamin, all over 45 years old and all look absolutely amazing. And they all got great spots on the WWF now. Yeah, this this stable that they have is called the Her Business. Great name, great look. Uh, I hope uh, they get some gold at some point. But it's a great name, and the, the 
I'm not a big fan of stables or a three-man team that's been played out, but these guys, if, if you're going to make a stable work, it better be these guys. Because Lashley, Shelton, especially Shelton and the MVP, have more than paid their dues. And for three guys over 45 that still look that good and still perform at a high level, yeah, yeah, got to give it to them. But I wanted to point that out on August 11, 2007, when the standard physical saved the life of MVP, who could have very easily died if not for that undiagnosed uh, Wolf Parkinson White Heart Syndrome that he has. Uh, which brings us to today, Dan, and today in wrestling history, uh, one of the things I love, I miss most, uh, August 12th, 1977 in St. Louis, the WWF Heavyweight Champion Superstar Billy Graham defended his belt against handsome Jimmy Valiant. On the same card, the NWA Champion Harley Race went to a two out of three falls draw with Dory Funk Jr. On the same card, Race and Dory Funk both split a fall, and the final fall went to uh, a draw, 30 minutes. Uh, so you had the NWA champion and the WWF champion on the same card. And on that same card, Dick Slater defeated Jack Briscoe for the Missouri heavyweight title. And this is back when the Missouri State Championship was seen as a, the next step. So a lot of people thought that Dick Slater was on the precipice of being the next NWA champion. Uh there was a lot to like about Dick Slater back then, and you end up beating Jack Briscoe for any title. Because you remember, and because for those of you who don't know, Jack Briscoe defeated Bob Backlund for the Missouri State Championship. And uh, Dick Slater would defeat um, Jack Briscoe on that card that the NWA and the WWF champion were on uh, to um, be the Missouri State champion. On that same date today, Dan, August 12th, 1983, in Houston, Texas, the main event, Dusty Rhodes and Junkyard Dog would take on Ted DiBiase and Kamala in a Texas Tornado dog collar Texas bull rope match. Oh, jeez. The main event, so JYD... And Ted DiBiase were both fastened with dog collars, while Dusty Rhodes was attached to Kamala with a Texas bull rope and a tornado match. Dusty and JYD came out on top over Ted DiBiase and Kamala. Wow. Exactly one year later, Dan, in Salisbury, Maryland, at a WWF house show, with the main event being Andre the Giant versus Big John Stud. Kamala would defeat Sal Balomo <laughs> in a house show. So one year or so, going from main eventing in Houston at a Mid-South card and selling out the Sam Houston Coliseum to wrestling on the house show in Salisbury, Maryland against Sal Balomo in the WWF. But that was the career of Kamala because two years before that, he was main eventing in Memphis against Jerry Lawler. So he went from Memphis to Mid-South to the WWF in three years. And uh, earlier that, I mean, that same year in 84, he was on the Parade of Champions at Texas Stadium. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that too. Yeah, so he wrestled on more big cards at Texas Stadium at the Superdome, Sam Houston Coliseum, WrestleManias. Fun Eric's. 
Yeah, I guess that is ugh. <laughs> Cares. Kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. kidding. I'm kidding, of course. I kid, I kid. Yeah, I'm not allowed to kid about that. <laughs> but that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. That was a quick one this week, and it was two weeks, so you we got the best weeks. of the best right there. <laughs> really, the 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 main episode is where we really had a discussion about uh Kamala and uh, the moment the subject of the week really. Yeah. So which which we should have done and and we did. But yeah. with that being said, I think we're done for the week. We've been on the air a total uh, two episodes uh, almost 2 hours. So I think I've done my job. I think our yeah, job's I think, over. So I think um it's time we call it. Yeah. Let's call it. I'm going what are we going to call it? Uh we'll call it call- the aristocrats. Hey, Craig, where can <laughs> people follow you? I was going to call it a night, but um, you right. can you can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. It's not very often we're not on the same page, so. Yes. What? what? Anyway, follow me on Twitter at Tanlaw83, the VOC Nation Radio Network, VOCNation.com. Look on your smartphone in your podcast app, type in VOC Nation Radio Network if you want to watch live, twitch.com. TV slash Dan Law 83. If you want to watch later, youtube.com slash Dan Law 83. For Craig Lagans, I'm the Beverage Comedian Dan Kopchiko. We will see you next week. Good night. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Works, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included... General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Dangerous Danny Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOC Nation. 
Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists, and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. The morning after, right here on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Brady Hicks and... Homeboy Rap Boy here. I tell you what, we got a good show right here in the afternoon at 12 o'clock. Eastern Standard Time on the VOC Nation. Talking wrestling, football, news, whatever's going on in the world today. VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.